everybody. This is Randy Shandeville, and you're listening to This Golden State. Even though the election is still almost two years away, there's already a long list of high-profile Californians positioning themselves to replace Jerry Brown as the state's next governor. Today, we interview one of them, Antonio Villaragosa. Villaragosa, a Democrat, certainly has the credentials, mayor of Los Angeles for eight years, and before that, he was speaker of the assembly. This is the only country in the world where Antonio Villaragosa could get elected. So far, Villaragosa's main competition comes exclusively from fellow Democrats. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, who leads in the polls, State Treasurer John Chung, and former state school superintendent Delane Easton. And preschool is much more important than a sexy high-speed train from Bakersfield to anywhere. In deep blue California, Republicans are a long shot, but former football great Rosie Greer is running. Venture capitalist John Cox is likely running. Many Republicans hope that San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer runs, but so far, Falconer says no. City of stars, are you shining just for me? Back to Villaragosa, his record as L.A. mayor, mostly positive. A revived downtown, cleaner air, school scores up, crime rate down. And he helped lead an effort to get at least some Angelinos out of their cars. New rail lines now connect downtown to some suburbs. Now arriving, Hollywood Western Station. Another potential political positive, Villaragosa, a Latino, may ironically get a big boost from President Trump. Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric could energize the state's growing number of Latino voters. Oh, we're going to build the wall. Don't worry about it. We're building the wall. In fact, it's going to start soon. Way ahead of schedule. Though Villaragosa clearly disdains Donald Trump, he's kind of following one of Trump's leads. Remember in last year's election how Trump appealed to people in all those flyover states who feel left behind economically? Well, Villaragosa is now trying to appeal to people in the flyover parts of California. And he's consulting with two Republican Latino strategists, Mike Madrid and Hector Barajas. Go ask people in, in the Central Valley if they feel they've been represented uh, over the decades. Uh, they'll tell you they haven't. A potential negative for Villaragosa? He's not a humble man. Critics call him a showboat. A self-promoter pats himself on the back. And indeed, you're about to hear Villaragosa answer some of my questions about the future by talking big about his past. Now, lots of politicians do that kind of thing. Villaragosa, perhaps a little more so than most. We met with him last week in Sacramento. Well, Antonio Villaragosa, thanks for joining us today. Randy, it's good to be here with you. So let me start with a question, a question about your hometown. There's a fairly long list of LA mayors and former LA mayors who were very popular as mayor, but for some reason failed in their efforts to become governor. In fact, I think the last L.A. mayor to become governor was more than 100 years ago. Why do you think that is? What's going on? Well, actually, there haven't been too many San Francisco mayors either. Uh, The fact is uh, that mayors are so focused on the job at hand that when they finally run, they're not as familiar with the rest of the state. In my case, uh, I used to be Speaker of the Assembly. 
and I, uh, I did have some familiarity with the state. I was born and raised here. And prior to running for office, I went on an 18-month uh, listening tour, 51 days, up and down the state from Sacramento to San Diego, uh, from Sonoma to San Bernardino. So uh, I've uh, gotten myself reacquainted with parts of the state I didn't know as well, and uh, acquainted for the first time parts of the state I didn't know at all. Well, well, getting back to my first question, there clearly is something going on, not even necessarily specifically L.A., but you have Governor Jerry Brown, San Francisco and Oakland. Senator Dianne Feinstein, San Francisco. Kamala Harris, San Francisco and Oakland. The previous senator, Barbara Boxer, San Francisco Bay Area. Most Californians live in Southern California, but most of the power, at least for the past couple of decades, has been in Northern California. Why do you think that is? Well, number of reasons, but uh, uh, I'll let uh, others speculate on uh, exactly why. Well, I mean, do you think there's, you think people care about politics and government less in Southern California than, than they no, do in Northern I mean, they, California? There's, there's no question. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not a pundit, so I'm, these are No, questions. but you're, you're, you're from Southern California, right. and you worked up here in Sacramento. I'll say something about the difference in voting patterns. You know, Southern California, particularly the L.A. metropolitan area, has a disproportionate number of younger people poorer people and less educated people than the Bay Area, and particularly San Francisco. And so those are the three uh, demographics that don't vote in, in big numbers. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, there are probably other things, but I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on thinking about, you know, the obstacles before me. I, if I did, I'd you wouldn't be interviewing me right now. Well, let me bring up another potential obstacle. It's still extremely early in the campaign, but at this point it seems that a couple of your opponents, maybe three, have kind of a built-in advantage. They're still holding office. They're in the news. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom is in the news, can choose to be in the news if he wants to be. Uh, John Chung is the state controller, and Kevin Falconer, if he runs, is the mayor of a big border city and obviously border issues are major news this year. You've been out of office since 2013. Does that make it harder for you to get traction? Well, there's no question that when you're in public office, uh, it's, as you say, uh, the path to greater visibility, if you will, and, and uh, media attention is a bit easier. But uh, let's see, I've been on TV the last uh, four days, three times, uh, and uh, this is going to be a long campaign, and hopefully people like you and others are going to cover it, and I expect that uh, I'll have an opportunity to be before the public uh, to a greater degree than I was when I was out of office. Uh, since returning as governor six years ago, most of Jerry Brown's focus seems to have been on pulling the state out of, it, out of its previous fiscal crisis and He's devoted a lot of energy to talking about stopping climate change. He also might be eventually defined by the success or failure of high-speed rail. How about you? What would a Governor Villaraigosa's focus be? Jobs, 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 the economy. Uh, I'm going to focus a lot on uh, educating our workforce for the jobs, uh, 21st century economy, training them uh, for those jobs 
building infrastructure again, uh, taking on uh, the tough issues as I did while I was mayor. Uh, I wasn't a shrinking violet, if you recall, uh, as an example. The schools weren't part of the purview or the jurisdiction of the mayor, uh, but I said they would be under my jurisdiction because... Okay, I mentioned earlier I that Villaraigosa's critics complain that he's overly fond of talking about himself, and this answer that I'm interrupting right now is perhaps an example of that. He takes a right turn after my question about the future to cruise down Villaraigosa memory lane, several minutes of highlights of past achievements. Now, since I listed those achievements earlier... I'm doing a little trimming now. Toughest assault weapons ban in the nation authored uh, by me uh, in a number of areas, both the speaker and his mayor. I've been willing uh, uh, to work across the aisle, uh, work across the ideological spectrum to get things done. You started saying that as governor you'd focus on jobs, 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 and somewhere in there we kind of lost focus well, on that. Um, well, some parts of California are doing just fine economically right now. Obviously, the San Francisco Bay Area. Other parts aren't doing so well. And I've, I've heard you mention that you would like to focus on the so-called forgotten parts of the state, the, the, the Central Valley, San Bernardino area, Inland Empire. By the way, I went off for a bit. Best way to see what you're going to be do, a lot of people talk about what they're going to do, is to see what they've done. Uh, I have a record as Speaker of the Assembly and as Mayor of Los Angeles. So I wanted to share that as I talked about jobs, the economy, and infrastructure. As an example, uh, I'll deviate again. Uh, with respect to infrastructure, let's be absolutely clear. Uh, built more light rail than any mayor in the country during that eight-year period of time, and as I understand it, more than any mayor before me in the city of Los Angeles. Modernized our airport, uh, built up and uh, invested in our port. So. You're right, uh, um, with respect to the issue of jobs and the economy. Uh, too many people in this part of the state, by the way, here in uh, uh, the capital, talk about the California rebound. And there's no question that we've uh, created more jobs than Florida and Texas combined in the last few years, that our economy uh, has grown at a faster rate than the U.S. economy. Uh, my hat's off to the governor and the legislature for that. What the part that's missing, the part that I uh, came in contact with as I went up and down the state, was that we're not growing together. Uh, we're growing on the coast. We're growing in San Francisco and San Jose and parts of San Jose. Uh, we're growing on the west uh, side of LA and in Santa Monica. We're not growing in Watts uh, on the east side in San Bernardino, Colton, Fontana. We're not growing in, in uh, the Central Valley where three out of the top five cities with the highest poverty rate are located. Stockton, Merced, uh, Bakersfield, uh, Visalia, and Fresno. So what I've said is if we're going to grow and properly rebound, we've got to make investments in the parts of the state that have been left behind. I did that as mayor. I spent a lot of time in South LA. I wasn't from South LA, and that wasn't necessarily the epicenter of votes uh, for mayor. But I spent time there because it was the most impacted area of the, of the city. Well, so specifically, how do you help 
So the I cities you mentioned in the Inland Empire, how do you, how do you, how do you change all I that? I think in a number of ways. Uh, you target uh, your resources in some of those places to a greater degree than we've done in the past. I'm going to be a, a, a governor for all the people. Uh, go ask people in, in the Central Valley if they feel they've been represented uh, over the decades. Uh, they'll tell you they haven't. Uh, they feel like they've been left behind. Uh, ask the same question to people in the, in the Inland Empire. So what are the kinds of things that we can do? Let me share them with you. We can bring back, uh, you know, uh, redevelopment uh, 2.0. Uh, you know, slimmer and trimmer, if you will, uh, addressing some of the concerns that people had about it. Uh, we could focus our efforts around uh, affordable housing in those parts of the state. Uh, we could target uh, tax credits and, you know, stru well-structured enterprise zones in places of high poverty and high unemployment. I'm going to be a governor that's focused on uh, those parts of the state, because that's the way we grow smart. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the resistance, and I've uh, certainly uh, challenged the president in a number of areas. Uh, what I've said is, the, uh, in addition to resisting those policies, we got to double down on what we do better here. So if we're growing our economy, it can't just grow it, you know, in, in Knob Hill. You know, uh, it's, or, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the president. Brentwood. Because he won election in part by focusing on parts of the country that he said had been forgotten job-wise. And I know you don't want to compare yourself to Donald Trump. I'm sure most Democrats don't want to do that. But I do see kind of a parallel. You're trying to focus a lot of your energies, or at least your campaign energies, on parts of the state that have been forgotten economically or left behind economically. Well, first of all, uh, I didn't hear him speak about uh, the inner city, uh, where, except in derogatory terms, where the greatest, uh, the, the largest expanses of poverty and unemployment are. Uh, yes, he did speak to rural poverty, uh, and particularly jobs in, in that part of the country. And uh, I'm going to focus on every part of the state. When I say that we need to grow together, I'm not suggesting that we're not going to be supportive of industries, you know, on the coast, of course. You know, the new economy, you know, tech, biotech, entertainment, these are important. Uh, avionics, you know, or aviation, important parts of the California economy. But we've got to invest uh, in, in a broader a swath of the state that we haven't in the past. And I think my candidacy speaks to that. A couple minutes ago, you mentioned uh, rebuilding the state's infrastructure, and I think most everyone, Republicans, Democrats, coastal Californians, and rural Californians would all agree that the state's roads, highways, dams uh, are not in good shape. What I find especially concerning is that the state is in relatively good fiscal shape right now. Polls show that Governor Brown is more popular than he's ever been, and he's been pushing for doing something about the state's infrastructure, yet it's still lagging behind. So I'm wondering if in these fiscal times, with someone as popular as Governor Brown, and it's still not getting done, how does it get done? Well, we've had some fairly effective mayors before me, and yet I was the first mayor uh, to really grapple with uh, the need to make uh, serious, uh, deep investments in 
our infrastructure, and particularly public transit, but also the airport. We hadn't done anything in the airport uh, since 1984. Um, we hadn't done anything in the port, as I understand it, since the 90s. I came up with a half-penny sales tax uh, during the middle of a recession, by the way. Everybody thought it was impossible. Uh, we're going to have to look at innovative uh, financing for infrastructure in the state. Uh, we're going to have to uh, challenge the notion that we can't have public-private partnerships, P3s, uh, to build uh, infrastructure. We're going to have to look at our regulations and see where are the places we can expedite our environmental review so that we can build uh, our infrastructure again, put people to work um, in the infrastructure needs of the state. I'm going to be focused on that like a laser beam. So are you saying Governor Brown hasn't been aggressive enough on that issue? Well, I think you know that I didn't say that. And for you to suggest that is... I'm, I'm asking. Well, you're I'm not suggesting. I, we, I didn't say anything like that. What I did say was what I'm going to do. Uh, let's be clear about that. I'm going to engage uh, in the kind of innovative, uh, out-of-the-box thinking that we haven't done in the past. Uh, not a criticism of anybody who comes before me. It's only what I intend to do because that's all I can control. What about high-speed rail? You know, I, I agree with, uh, with the governor that California needs to come into the 21st century. There are 16 nations that either have high-speed rail uh, or will be building it. You know, at what point do we say that we want to get out of, uh, you know, the 19th century, if you will? Now, I do believe, uh, and there's certainly been criticism of escalating costs, that we have to value engineer wherever we can, but I also think we need to be dynamic in, in leveraging uh, our uh, investments. So as an example, um, I think what we have to do with high-speed rail is leverage economic development in the Central Valley, leverage it uh, to grow industry uh, along those stations. Something similar, I guess, happened with the BART system in the Bay Area, where they've built housing around stations to kind of justify the stations and to help with the commute. Are you talking about it, something similar in the Central Valley? Very, very much. You know, it's not just, it's not just to justify the cost. It's to take advantage and leverage the cost for other smart development. Go to New York or Chicago or any great city, you see people density along stations, along those transit lines. And so that's what we're doing in LA. Uh, you know, so what high-speed rail can do is put density, but also economic development, industry, uh, connect you know, Silicon Valley with the Central uh, Valley, uh, connect the Central Valley with the San Fernando Valley. Uh, there are opportunities for economic development, for housing, smart growth in this state in places where the cost of housing is uh, much lower, but unemployment is high. So making the connections. And see, that's the win-win. On, on both high-speed rail and the infrastructure, clearly at some point for the state to do as much as it would like to do, it's going to need at least some help from the federal government. But as we speak, there are a lot of sanctuary cities that the president doesn't like. The state may even become a sanctuary state, and he's threatening to withhold federal dollars. That's a problem, right? You know, look, I take the long view. 
by the time I'm elected governor, the president will be in two years in, into his administration. I, I hope by then he'll have uh, understood uh, that an extreme agenda. Um, if you go too far in any direction, people are going to push back. And so my thinking is uh, wiser and sage counsel will move him away from some of the rhetoric. Uh, but if not, we'll have two years uh, under my administration to push back. Uh, you're right. We're the epicenter of the foreign-born. Uh, our state is strong. Our state has grown. Uh, our state, uh, we've already chronicled, uh, growing faster than the rest of the country, in no small part because of these immigrants. We're going to do everything we can uh, to defend them, to stand up for them, to stand up for the notion that we don't divide uh, these families, uh, that we're not going to terrorize these communities. Uh, but I think, as well, I'll refer to what I said a few minutes ago, the best way to show uh, and to push back is to double down on what we do, show that we can address homelessness and housing affordability, that we can move more people into the middle class, that we can create uh, more high-wage jobs in our state. I think that's, I think the rest of it will take care of itself. You know, one thing that I haven't heard discussed much with regard to him withholding money because of the sanctuary status of some cities here, potentially the sanctuary state, is that the money he's talking about withholding, much of it came from California in the first place. You know, Californians give more tax dollars than any other state. We're a so-called donor state. For every dollar we put in, I think, what do we get, like 70 or 80 cents back? We've been a donor state under Democrats and Republicans, and neither one of them have done enough to kind of return some of those tax dollars. Um, so your point is well taken. Yeah, but this whole this whole notion of withholding money that came from the state in the first place. Well, uh, that's why I'm saying I think over time cooler heads are going to prevail. Uh, but if they seek to continue down that path, I think they're going to see uh, it's not just California. Look. I was president of the Conference of Mayors. I'm well aware that 80% of the GDP of this country are in the cities. So you take, you take New York, you take Chicago, you take Los Angeles, you take Houston and Phoenix uh, and San Jose and San Diego and San Francisco and uh, Miami and, and the list goes on and on. And you punish them in the way that uh, he talks, you're gonna hurt the the U.S. economy, it's just simple. It's just like his, his rhetoric about tr uh, trade. Look, I'm running for governor, and the one thing I get, they're both wrong. Should we, sh you know, both Democrats and Republicans, should we make uh, better trade deals? Sure. We should negotiate the best deals we can to protect American workers, to protect the environment. But nine out of ten markets are outside of this uh, country. And no state benefits from trade with the world, particularly Asia and Latin America, more than California. So it would be a dereliction of duty to say we're not going to trade. I was mayor of L.A. We were moving 44% of all the seaborne goods that en entered the United States. Uh, we want to trade even more with the rest of the world. You uh, a bit ago mentioned that you th thought, hoped, that cooler heads would eventually prevail. I'm wondering, do you think the state is being too aggressive in provoking Donald Trump? The governor, I think most Californians agree with what he's saying, but his language has been 
pretty amped up at times. Same thing with words coming out of the state legislature. I commend the governor. The governor, I think, has been very uh, measured. Uh, he's, he's spoken out a couple of times, but he's focused on his job, and that's what he should do. Um, as governor, I've said now a number of times, I'm not going to respond to every ignorant tweet that comes out of the president's mouth and or his fingers. I don't think that's constructive. Um, I think we should respond to actions for sure. And I think we should double down and do what we do even better. Let me get back to immigration for just a minute. Obviously, two years down the road, it's still going to be an issue with Donald Trump as president. Not you yourself, but you come from a family of immigrants. When he talks about deporting immigrants, mainly Mexican immigrants, I would imagine some of that hits pretty close to home. You know, I actually, on my mother's side, and that's really the only side I've lived with, my grandpa came here 100 years ago, so I didn't grow up in an immigrant family. My father was an immigrant, true, but he left when I was five, and I really don't have much, you know, grew up in a home of alcoholism and domestic violence. I didn't have much of a relationship with him. You're right. They focus so much of the immigration uh, and the raids and uh, the demonizing of immigrants on Mexicans. And that's, that's outrageous. No ethnic group since World War II has been awarded more medals of valor than the Mexicans. They're working in the fields, in our agricultural sector. They work in our service sector. They work in our manufacturing sector. They've helped to create wealth. Uh, the fact that the president uh, and uh, his party focus so much on, as you said, Mexicans, just grates against what most of us think is fair. Actually, in answer to your question, I'd be fighting for them if they were all from Poland or East, Eastern Europe, if they were from Ireland or Italy. I mean, this notion that we, we're going to demonize people who work, you know, who are creating wealth, who, who want to be a part of the American dream, who fight for our country. And I was just telling uh, a friend of mine right now as I was coming here, you know, I, I didn't grow up very ethnic, if you will. But geez, you just got to say, at what point does this stop? So I'd be fighting for them if I, I never grew up in an immigrant household, very, uh, you know, English-speaking household, very, you know, kind of in that homogenized kind of society that we had in the 1950s. But yeah, you're right. I'm going to stand up for them. And I'd stand up for them if they were all from Africa uh, or China. If we're going to do something about immigration, uh, why don't we fix it? Ag needs those jobs. California needs these people. And uh, I think the nation uh, and Mother Liberty, uh, well, Mother Liberty anyway, would have a smile on her face uh, if we finally fix this instead of demonizing these people. We, we don't have much time left. As you can and see, I get no, very emotional well, about it. <laughs> under, understandably so. Understandably so. We don't have much time left. And I think people in your hometown of L.A. probably know a little bit about it, your backstory. But... It's really pretty interesting, and I don't know if most people in the rest of the state know about it. You talked about your father leaving. You had, it sounds, from at least from what I read, a pretty rough childhood, and you were headed down a bad road for a while yourself. Uh, can you talk about your early years and how you pulled out of that and became what you are today? Well, I feel blessed. 
and uh, yes, we grew up poor. Uh, yes, I did grow up in my early years in a home of domestic violence and alcoholism, but I had the most incredible mother, uh, a woman of unconditional love and, uh, you know, just love of family and country and community, and, and I was fortunate. Uh, you know, I, I did have my problems. I, I got kicked out of one school and dropped out of another, and, you know, I was a problem child. But uh, I was lucky. I had a great teacher, Herman Katz, and a great mom, and they put me back on track. And, and a great country, that you know, public school system that gave me a second chance. You know, an affirmative action that uh, program that got me into UCLA. And I've often said, uh, some people would say I came in through the back door, but one thing's for sure, I came out the front. And, you know, I'm a big believer because of the second chances that I got in giving people second chances and investing in them. And, and a big believer that this was a great country long before this last election, because it's one that's given me uh, more than I could have ever hoped for and given my family more than we could have ever expected. It shouldn't matter, but it does matter. Ethnic identity. People pay attention to that whether they should or not. And I'm wondering, do you think your Latino background will be a benefit or a hindrance to your campaign, or both? You know, I do remember the 2001 election. I remember half a dozen times people standing up and say, why should I vote for you? You're not even an American. I remember people uh, not wanting to shake my hand and say, get your effing hand away from me. Uh, I do remember those days, and I uh, tell people uh, when they ask me what I'm proudest of, you know, crime going down dramatically, education, transportation, infrastructure, I tell them, you know what I'm proudest of? I made it okay. You know, they described me as the Latino candidate for mayor when I first ran. And by the time I left, I was the transit mayor, the education mayor, the public safety mayor, the big mouth mayor. I was everybody's mayor. I'm not uh, thinking a whole lot about, you know, whether some people uh, like or don't like, uh, you know, where I trace my roots to. I'm proud to be an American. I'm also proud of where my family came from. I think people are beyond that. Uh, not everyone, I'm not, you know, a Pollyann, you know, but I think most people are gonna judge uh, me and the other candidates based on our ideas, uh, based on our vision for the future, and based, and based, which is why I did cover record a bit, based on do, does this person have the leadership and the wherewithal to do the things he says he's going to do and, um, you know, might help with some, hurt with others. I think most people really don't care. Antonio Villaragosa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandeville at Shandeville.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.